0: name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, both now and ever into the ages of all ages, Amen. So um, uh, this, the servants asked me to give a, a title for today's talk, and I decided to call it, Are You Ready to Celebrate? Seeing as uh, today is the Feast of Nairus, um tomorrow is the Feast of the Birth of St. John the Baptist, um, uh, and And if you look carefully at our church, uh, oftentimes people will look at the Coptic church and say, oh, what a laborious church. You know, this church is full of fasting. But uh, if you look carefully, you'll find that the church has more feasts than it does fasts. Has more feasts than it does fasts. Um, And that every fast is uh, followed by a season of feasting so most people celebrate their birthday one day we celebrate jesus's birthday for multiple days you know we celebrate theophany for three days until we celebrate until we celebrate the wedding of cana of galilee we celebrate the resurrection as you all know for 50 days you know and so the the church is almost always it would seem in a period of either fasting or feasting and the periods that are in between are actually very few Coptic New Year, the Feast of Nairuz is not celebrated for one day, but celebrated for who can tell us how many days? Any anyone wanna guess? Just two weeks over here, just over two weeks, fifteen days until the Feast of the Cross, which is then celebrated for three days. So we're celebrating for 18 days, right? And so the church is our church is a church of almost continual celebration. But it wouldn't be celebration if it was continuous. So there are pauses, there are pauses, times where we, where, where we, we, we take a time to prepare ourselves for the next celebration. So the question, I guess, is well, what are we celebrating? Like, what are we here for? Whose birthday is it? You know, you don't want to go to somebody's birthday party with a cake that says, you know, like "Happy Birthday, Johnny" if it's Matthew's birthday. That would be very embarrassing, you know, right? Or, or a birthday card that said, that says the wrong person's name, or or you get you ever you ever accidentally this, this this. I have a friend who who didn't do this once. He every single time I've ever seen him give. A birthday card to somebody it wasn't a birthday card it was a get well soon card it was a congratulations for you know and i'm like dude do you read the card he's like no that one was really colorful that one was really cute and it just became a joke you know amongst us as friends growing up what card were you going to get from this person? Because it certainly wasn't going to be a birthday card. What are, you, what are we celebrating? What are we here for? Why are we here? What is, what is Nehruz? And what does this have anything to do with me? What does this have anything to do with my life? And can I be very honest with you? Nehruz has never been... Gosh, I really hope this part isn't recorded. Um, Nairuz has never really been like my thing. Like, how many times are you going to celebrate a new year? Like, there's Nairu's New Year, there's January 1st, New Year, there's your birthday, which is like a new year in your life, there's the new school year, there's the Feast of My Ordination, which I'm sure all of you celebrate, I mean, it's a national holiday in the U.S., right, I was, I was ordained on July 4th, of course, they made it a holiday because I was ordained on that day, not because it's Independence Day or anything, right, and so... How, how many how many times are we gonna and we're like okay i'm starting a new year you know okay i'm but like three months later okay i'm starting a new year like and it's it's kind of like a bit disgenuine or a bit nonsensical to be celebrating a new year every three months it would seem well so what is it that we're celebrating And this kind of begs a bit of a deeper question, if you'll permit me to like kind of digress away from Nairuz for a moment to go to a bit of a deeper question. What is it that we're doing anytime that we have a holiday? Like if you think of the holidays, what do you think of? You tell me holiday, I think of like, you know, sipping a nice drink, by the pool in some hot caribbean place or the south coast of spain or something that's what i think of when you say holiday and maybe the same is for you you maybe think of hanging out with your friends or, or 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 whatever it is holidays have become this very welcomed interruption from daily life it's like we look forward to the weekend because we don't have to go to work, go to school, go to whatever. We look forward to this time because it's an interruption of our yuj. Isn't that kind of sad? Isn't it kind of sad that like, I look forward to brief moments in life because they will interrupt the monotony and the grind and the rat race and the wheel of life that I am subjected to. I'm like a hamster on a wheel and every now and again I'm, I'm allowed to hop off the wheel for two-sevenths of the week or for, or for, for, for two weeks out of 52 a year or for whatever. Isn't that kind of sad? Is that the life one aspires to? You're all in university and you're all very smart and successful people and you're going to have fantastic careers in which you will be ground even more in a grind than you are grinding now. Oh gee, that sounds really positive. And the, 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 the ideal is just to escape the madness that we've found ourselves in so I can relax. So, I don't have to wake up to an alarm. I don't have to do anything. What do I enjoy most about the holidays? Doing nothing. You know, I refuse now to go on any kind of expensive holiday, now that I have small children, without my mom or my mother-in-law. Because me and my wife having to take care of our children, is more work for me than her taking care of the children and me being a priest, right? <laughs> it's so much work. I'm not going on a holiday to get away from my usual to do more work of a different capacity, right? So now, like, I must have my mom or my mother-in-law on a holiday with us. It's just, if we're going to spend money on a holiday, they're coming because I want to do Nothing. Right, and all of a sudden, doing nothing has become like this this idolized paradise utopian state in my mind. I dream about doing nothing. I hope that one day I will get to do nothing. I remember once you know some youth was sitting and talking to me about how like they're bored and all of you know uh, you know like like idleness is the you know Satan's playground is kind of like just a common colloquial thing people say right and so all of these sins kind of come out of idleness right and he returns to me and he's like you know like you know when you're bored and I was thinking myself like no I don't know when was I want to be bored I want to be bored give me some of that boredom I want to be bored when am I going to be bored God when am I going to get this awesome privilege of having time and not knowing what to do with it and hoping that the clock could could go faster all of a sudden this state of nothingness has become an an idol something that that rather than running away from it we're somehow running towards it and and theologically this is like completely backwards like this is like basically demonic right because god created out of nothing, He created us. God is not our maker. Sometimes we refer to Him as our maker for fun. But a maker, the difference between a maker and a creator is that a maker makes something out of something. A creator makes something out of nothing. So He he created us out of nothing. So He created us out of, He brought us out of nothing. And now I want to return to nothing. I want to undo the work of God. Well, it's, that's, that's why it's demonic. It's demonic to want to be nothing. But the reason that I want nothing over what I have in abundance is not because I'm tired, is not because I'm exhausted, is not because I have and I have it in abundance like way too much, thank you. But you know, you know it, it, no, it's not because of that. It's because somewhere I've lost my fulfillment. Somewhere I've lost my fulfillment in what I'm doing, so now I find myself slaving away, working hard, killing myself, and somewhere in the checks and balances, somewhere in the checks and balances, it's become not worth it anymore, or not worth it anymore, at least to the intensity that I have to to do this. And so I want to re-equalize you know, the, the 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 equation I want to re-equalize the deal by give give me some give me some some nothing. But it's because of a loss of meaning in what I'm doing. And holidays, the word holiday comes from has an obvious sense from where it comes from, are supposed to be holy days. They're supposed to be days that are Holy, what, is it, what does the word holy mean? The word holy is, in, in Greek is agios What does agios mean? It's, it's, a, it's a simple term A-geo Like A-anything is the opposite of that The anti, the anti of that The anti-type of that A-typical is something which is not typical Abnormal is something which is not normal A-geo is something which is not geo What's geo? Geo, geography, geology, world out of this world. It's something which is out of this world. God is out of this world. And only He, He is the only one, the only, I want to say thing, not that God is a thing, but to include everything that could possibly be out of this world. He is the only one who is outside our universe as we know it. And so, when we say something is holy, it means that it is something which belongs to God, which pertains to God, which is consecrated to God, which has been earmarked for God and God alone. So, holy days are days which are for God. Now, from an Old Testament perspective, this is very easy to understand. That's what the Sabbath was, right? The Sabbath was a time... Of rest. You're going to say, but that's exactly what the holidays are. One, they're a time of rest where I get to do nothing. No, but they didn't do nothing on the Sabbath, they enjoyed God. See, what does it mean? That God created the world in six days, whether you understand them to be a literal six days or you know new earth, old earth, that's a conversation for a different day. We can have that conversation sometime if you want to, but now that's not what I'm talking about. He created the world in six and on the seventh day he rested. Well, of course he rested, Abuna, because he you know he created three hundred and fifty thousand species of beetles. He must have been exhausted. To, you know, he created all the trees and all the fish and all the this and all that. He must have been exhausted. He created this and that and the other. He, but does that make sense? We rest because we're tired. Well, why did God rest? Because he was tired? That doesn't make any sense. He was physically exhausted from running around the planet. No, the, Genesis one three. The spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So he rested because it was you know like computationally like his mind was like on overdrive figuring out the genetic code for all of these different species no you know he, he, he was trying not to get them confused you know he didn't want to get them crossed no so what what is so his his definition of rest is very different from ours our definition of rest is the escape from our from our work his definition of rest is what? What did God do when he rested? He sat back by the poolside of some Caribbean, in some, at some Caribbean resort, with a drink in his hand, but he didn't do nothing. A virgin drink, of course. He didn't do nothing. He put his feet up and he looked at all that he had created and he said, It is. Good. And he looked at mankind and said, humankind, and said, indeed it is very good. God's version of rest is not this kind of rest, but is ah, good. God's version of rest is taking fulfillment, finding fulfillment in his work, in his work, and stopping working so he can observe his work and enjoy how good it is. And there's many scriptural references for that. Like it says that the Lord finds rest in His saints. What does it mean He finds rest in His saints? When He sees holiness in you and in me. Saint, holy. Saint, sanctus, holy. Sanct- sanctus is, is, is like holy in Latin, right? When He, he finds holiness... He finds rest. Because it is as it ought to be. So the holy days are days which are holy and are days in which God finds rest. And we ought to find rest in them as well. But the rest is an awe, an an enjoyment, a fulfillment of the work. So the work and the rest are intimately related as one being the natural consequence of the other, not the interruption of the other. It's the high that you get from a, a good mark. It's the high that you get from finishing a project or or or, 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 or performing in, in 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 some drama, some theatrical thing, or 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 the 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 high that you get after, you know, winning a basketball game, or it's, it's the, 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 the pause to enjoy the fulfillment of that which you worked so hard for. That is rest in God's world. And that's what feasting is. So if you look at the seven feasts of the Old Testament, eight if you include the weekly Sabbath, you'll find that they follow the agricultural calendar. You'll find that there are springtime feasts and autumn time feasts. Like a whole bunch of feasts surround the time of Passover, and then right after that is the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days, And then 50 days later, you can probably see the parallels to Passover, Pesach, Pascha, right? 50 days later was the Feast of the Harvest. So during those 50 days, they would spend those 50 days in joyful harvest. And after those 50 days, it was called the Feast of Weeks because it was seven weeks after Passover, They celebrated Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks. And it was all around the harvest. The harvest was uh, like the the central focus of it. Then came the summer drought. Nothing happened then. And then came Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah, New Year, which is also around now, because the... Coptic calendar is also an agricultural calendar and then you had a whole bunch of feasts surrounding again agriculture again the planting and the, the early rain because remember this is the beginning of the year so the rain that comes at the beginning of the year will be called the early rain and the rain that comes in spring will be called the latter rain right and so they plant and it rains and then the winter is kind of dormant again and then in the spring, we start all over again. And so the feasts are all about celebrating the harvest. And the church just took this and crowned it and glorified it with a glorified understanding of Christ. That it's, it's the, the resurrection begins our joyful 50 days of harvest. Why? Because what is the fruit? What is the fruit that we, that we are harvesting? St. John the Baptist will tell us in these days, because the Coptic New Year begins with the story of salvation, which begins with John the Baptist. When the people are coming out to John the Baptist, he tells, to, he tells them, you know, brood of vipers. A bishop who kind of pushed me forward towards ordination once told me this is a, a completely useless aside that has nothing to do with our topic. Says to me, uh, says to me, if you ever get tempted to stand at the pulpit and lean over and go, brood of vipers, know that you're going to become very unpopular and it's probably not for the gospel's sake. You're probably just probably a bad idea. <laughs> Anyways, right? So St. John the Baptist tells him, brood of vipers, this and that, bear fruits worthy of Repentance. Bear the fruits of repentance, he tells them. Otherwise, the, the axe is laid by the side of the tree and be cut down and thrown into the fire. What is the fruit that we bear? Repentance. What is repentance? It is a metanoia. It is a change of direction, a change of going in the way of death to going in the way of life. It's going from death to life. Well, What's that called? Resurrection. So for 50 days, we celebrate the resurrection, which is celebrating... Our repentance and celebrating the great work of repentance that God has worked in my life. And so it is a time of harvest because the harvest is what? Is harvesting the fruits, which is what? Repentance. See how all these things are all tied together. But for us, sometimes the feasts of the church, in general terms, I haven't gotten to Nairuz yet, I'm just talking about feasts and fasting they 're just these they 're just the, the, these things that kind of punctuate the year so that the year isn 't one long blah you know how you feeling blah how 's your day blah you know same old you know same day different stuff etc etc so we have these we have like you know labor day to have a ah, a change a long weekend a this a that so the feasts have become in the church for a lot of people they 've just become these sort of irrelevant, but welcomed punctuations in the monotony of life. And so, you know, we you know we fast for Advent. It's kind of nice to eat seafood for a while. We go out for sushi a lot and this and that. And then there's Christmas where there's a lot of presents and family and hot chocolate. And that's kind of nice too, you know. And so we do that for a while. And then comes Lent, which is like really painful but you know once we get over the carbs and the gas and so on we get to eat meat again and that's kind of nice and you appreciate the meat when you don't eat it for 55 days and that's become for a lot of people that's kind of become what these feasts and fasts are and where is jesus in all of that nowhere and so it's lost its meaning and having lost its meaning it's lost its fulfillment and it's become what's the point anyways right and this really takes, like, this, this idea that feasts are the celebration of fulfillment, and this idea around harvest is, is so um, real and so kind of legitimate. If you think of liturgy, what is liturgy? The word liturgy, liturgia, is a Greek word, and it was a Greco-Roman rite that existed before Christianity with a few hundred years that was all also around harvest, and the idea it's the the literal translation is work of the people but it's not it's not only celebrating the work of the people but it's celebrating what the work of the people is if the if every person brings what they've done and puts it together that the totality of it is more than the sum of its parts. What do I mean you're a potato farmer, you bring your potatoes you know you you're a sheep herder, you bring your sheep. Potatoes alone, you know, lamb alone are a lot less interesting than a plate of lamb and potatoes together. It's a much much more wholesome meal. I took a very simple and banal kind of example, but you can imagine that if each person in the village brought what they were harvesting, everybody got to taste test a little bit of everything of the harvest. And that's what the liturgy was pre-Christian times. So the church decided to take the Last Supper, decided to take the commemoration of, of the giving of Christ, of himself, and call it liturgy, where every person has to bring their part, like St. Paul says in Ephesians. And every part, doing its, own, doing its part, doing what it can, edifies builds up the whole and so there's an offering in the liturgy and during the offering some people would bring the bread some people would bring the wine Well, what would the widows and the orphans bring they have nothing they're beggars they would bring the water everybody brought something everybody offered something everybody brought something and put it before the Lord and guess what the Lord brought something too. We bring these gifts, we set them before him. He transforms them and glorifies them and makes these very humble things, these very basic humble little things, bread, wine, water into his body and his blood. And he says, come, let us participate together in this liturgy, in this work of the people. And let me be a participant with you. Well, this brings us to, okay, Abuna, we talked about fasts, we talked about feasts, we talked about how these things have, we've kind of, we've taken God out of them, and then we feel they've lost their meaning, but in bringing God back into them, they they, they refined their meaning. Okay, but like, give us an example, Abuna, well, let's take Nairus, since we're there. So what is Nehruz? Nehruz is, is, a, is a Coptic word, a Pharaonic word, which simply means the new year. And it's the new year. September 11th is not the new year on the Gregorian calendar or the Julian calendar before that. It's the new year in the Coptic calendar. Why? Well, because that was the beginning of the agricultural season. Right. And that was the beginning. So they made that the beginning of the year. But it starts on 284 A.D. Why? Because that was the beginning of the reign of Diocletian. So, I mean, Diocletian was like a really important person in Coptic history, Emperor Diocletian. And he must have been our fave or something. He must have been like our best friend because we decided to start our year on the day he became emperor. Like, so to honor him, we decided to, to make our year start on the day he became emperor. Right? Because like, he was like just such a good person to the Coptic church. Right? Well, the true and spiritual person would say, yes, absolutely. He is the reason... That the church spread all over Africa and later on all over the world. Well, how so? How did he do that? He built new roads, he funded missionary expeditions. He well, in a certain sense, you know, as has been proven in latter times, such as now, the, the faith is most quickly and easily spread by the sword. Much easier and faster than by preaching. I should really change careers. (laughs) I'm joking. Don't worry. I'm not armed. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, Faith is most easily spread by the sword, but in this case, it was spread by the sword in that he was the beginning of the great, the era of, of the great persecutions. In Egypt and elsewhere in the Roman Empire, but Egypt certainly got the lion's share of it. And so the church called this the beginning of the year and chose this to be the beginning of the year, seeing clearly that this was the time, this was the time when the Coptic church offered the, 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 the highest density of saints to paradise and to the kingdom of heaven. So this was like, this was, these were the glory days. These were the glory days. And I said this once in a family meeting in another church here in the GTA and I wasn't invited back for like six years. But your parents aren't here so I can say this, right? And we all look at those times and we say like, Look at that time of the martyrs, man. What The church was so glorious at that time. The church was so amazing at that time. Look at St. Rebecca, you know, who, like, when you read her story carefully, you know, they find out that the governor in the town, just, just the next town over, is persecuting Christians and is, is merciless. So what do they do? They're very rich, her household. So what do they do? They... They free all of their slaves. They give money to all of their slaves and servants and send them off. They sell all of their property and they go to get martyred. Like, suppose the emperor had a change... Suppose the governor had a change of heart. Suppose the governor said, you know what? This this whole martyrdom thing has gotten kind of old. I'm kind of over it, you know? And, you know, I'm not into, like, slaughtering children. Like, you know, uh, like, you know... That, that's just kind of gruesome. I'm, nah, it's fine. You know what, Rebecca and your five children, you guys just, you guys just, just go home. What would they have done? Where are they going to go? Like they, they, they sold out, literally and figuratively, they completely sold out on this world. They had absolutely no plan B. They had nowhere to go. They would, they would have been homeless if they, weren't, if they didn't stay in prison until they got martyred. That was the heart and the mind. That was the heart and the mind of the people of that era. And so we look at that and we're like, wow, that's so glorious. That's so amazing. That's so beautiful. And it is. But who of us is willing to do what St. Rebecca did? Who of us is willing to take our children by hand to the slaughter? Who of us is willing to offer our children, literally and figuratively, as a sacrifice? Okay, that's a little bit gory. Let's bring it back to the 21st century. Most of you and I, probably, who knows, are not going to be faced with the question of taking, literally taking a bullet for our faith. What is our martyria in this day and age? What is our, the word martyria, Martyr comes from the word martyr, martyria, mar- which is, means witness. What is our witness in this age? There is a really holy, holy um, Greek Orthodox monk that was visiting the GTA. And uh, uh, there was like a little, very small clergy seminar. It's about seven, eight priests. And uh, a priest friend of mine invited me to go, so I went. Um, And somebody asked him a question And he paused for a second And the answer he gave I can't even remember what the question was Because the answer was completely Had nothing to do With The answer he, he gave Had nothing to do with the question He said something which really marked me And became like Really a guiding principle in my life Now He said you know We think That God Is a God of love And He is And a God of grace And He is And a God of mercy And He is But that that means That God is pleased with anything But that doesn't make any sense He said That depersonalizes God Part of your personality Is that you have likes and dislikes There's things that you like There's things that you fancy Mazeg Right? took me forever to find the translation of mazeg. You know? What you fancy. What you like. And only you understand why. Well, God has fancies. And what He fancies is what He fancies. And, you know, if I tell you, like, I'm going to get you some ice cream. You're like, okay, well, you know, I I prefer chocolate. I'll get you whatever I find chocolate, vanilla, strawberry, it's all the same. You know, you'll like it. You'd be like, no, I like chocolate. I asked for chocolate. I don't want strawberry. I don't like strawberry ice cream. Why are you going to get me strawberry ice cream? I don't like strawberry ice cream. Right? You have your likes, you have your dislikes. He said, God, there's only three things that please God, he said. To live the entirety of our lives in holiness and purity. He paused for a second. He looked up and he goes, "It's too late for me. (laughs) I don't know about you." In his very thick Greek accent, he said, "Maybe only the mother of God." He says. So, well, that's not going to happen. Okay, what else you got? Like uh, father, he says, monastic obedience. But that's not going to be for everyone. He says, he's a monk but i'm not so two strikes <laughs> right i hope the third one is i hope the third one's good and he says but the third one he says is within reach of every single believer and we're all sitting in anticipation and he says to accept sickness and persecution with gratitude to accept sickness and persecution with gratitude. And I have to tell you, every now and again, I get called to visit somebody I don't know in hospital. Oftentimes, it's at a very inconvenient time. And I'm, I'm, I'm being very transparent and just telling you everything and you're going to think a lot less of me after I say this, but so be it. You know, and the thought crosses your mind like, now, you know, it's like 11 o'clock at night and I have a 5 a.m. liturgy. It's, you know, I've got half an hour between two appointments. I've got, you know, and it's like, oh, really? You know, and I'll find a way to squeeze and my calendar, my time, my this, my that, and go and make it happen. And I have to tell you, nine times out of ten, that visit... That call, that referral, that whatever you want to call it that I got to go and visit somebody in hospital, I have serious doubts that it was for the person I was visiting. But I know for certain, without a shadow of a doubt, that it was for me. Because I got to see a true and real martyria, a true and real witness. And I'll walk in and they'll say, You know, Father, we're so glad you're here, and so on. Thank you for coming. Say, My pleasure. And all the usual polite pleasantries and such. Let's pray, and we'll pray, and this and that. Then I'll ask them, How are you doing? And I have to tell you the truth. Almost every single time, I'll meet somebody who is truly and genuinely grateful. And I will feel like a worm, like a worm next to this person. They are suffering. They're in pain. They're facing deep uncertainty. They may be facing death itself. And they are genuinely kissing their hands one side to the other. There was an elderly lady with a neurodegenerative disease that I went and gave communion to for a few years. And uh, it, her neurodegenerative disease affected her speech. And, uh, you know, in the beginning she was chatty and she would talk with me, but I, I saw her decline, you know, until it affected her diaphragm and she couldn't breathe well and eventually she got a pneumonia and, pa- and, and, and departed to paradise. But to her last breath, the first thing and last thing she would always say to me and, and to her, at the very end of her life it was the only thing she could say was, thank God. Tan so how are you doing? Thank God. Are you in pain? Do you want me to call your nurse? Thank God. Are you this? Thank God. Thank God. Then it was genuine. She had multiple opportunities to complain if she wanted to. The grace that God is able to give us in these times. To offer a real and genuine witness is absolutely astounding. And it reveals His power. It reveals His glory. And it is a true witness. And that's what we're celebrating in Nairuz. We're not, you know, we've, we've got, you know, we get all the icons of our saints out and we put them and we get all the relics out and we get them and we venerate them. But what are we venerating? Are we glorifying the person? We're glorifying the person as the bearer of grace. Hail to you, O full of grace, we say to St. Mary in the Saturday theotokia She was filled with His grace. And like, like, like a good vessel, she wasn't leaky. She didn't leak the grace. Like a good vessels, these martyrs, Held the grace, retained the grace, and it showed itself in their witness. Now it is the time for you and I to also not just celebrate for the next 15 days martyrs from 1700 years ago, but it's time for you and me to celebrate and to enjoy. Not only the fulfillment, not only the fulfillment of their witness, but the fulfillment of yours. What is your witness? What is your witness? Pause. Look. See. And when you look, you will see that indeed it is very good. And you will find your own rest in it. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. I have sinned. Forgive me, my fathers. Please pray for me and absolve me.